If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. Happy Friday and welcome to Smart TV with me, Kellyanne Taylor, and the lovely Caroline Frost. Hello. Now, Caroline, I know you're super excited for this week because you are talking about one of your favourite celebrities of all time. Oh my goodness. So it's it's come. The day has come. Uh, the George Michael documentary, Two Beautiful Hours. I don't think it does it him justice. I think he should have a whole week devoted to him. But Channel 4 have um, put together a comprehensive two-hour doc starting on Monday, concluding on Tuesday, about what happened when George Michael was arrested in LA in 1998. And really, they're very clever. They've put together a sort of a pivot. So his career before and after, observant uh, listeners may be aware that he is also on the front of this week's Radio Times, beautiful picture. Um, And I had the great fortune to speak to some of the contributors to the doc. So Kenny Goss, George's longtime partner, uh, spoke to us and is in the documentary. Similarly, WAM's manager, Simon Napier-Bell, talks about the first time he ever spotted where I'm in action and thought, I need to sign those two boys. So uh, yes, all very interesting, really telling a tale, obviously, of George himself and the way he turned around the story of sex, sex shame as it was banded around. Do you remember Zip Me Up Before You Go-Go on the front of the sun? All these horrendous, very shaming headlines. And he just took that on and he said, no, I'm not going to be ashamed. This is my story, my life, and I'm going to own it. So it's about him, wonderful, but also, I guess, a bigger story of our age and how we've changed as fans, as audiences, as readers, and how the the newspapers have had to sort of catch up as well. So it's one for the ages, but at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end, it's really all about the wonderful George Michael. When did you become such a fan? Have you always been a fan? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, back in the day. I mean, loved well. Um, great pop records. What's so interesting about him, and he always spotted this because he was not, uh, what do they call it, falsely modest. He always said people are so busy looking at the earrings in his ears and thinking, is he gay? How camp is he? Who's his girlfriend? They said nobody was stopping to say, hang on a minute, this young man is 21 years old and he's writing these amazing pop hooks one after another. Last Christmas, he wrote as a teenager, Careless Whisper, he wrote allegedly, you know, the myth has it, on the top of a bus. He was extraordinarily talented and a lot of the pop noise that went on around him disguised that for a very long time. But I think, sadly, it's taken taken his death and the fact that we no longer have an artist of that caliber around Mm. to speak for us, to express himself through music. Because there is this aching gap, people are still realizing, what are we now, six years after he died, that he really was unique and extraordinarily talented and a huge loss culturally and musically. I get get off my George plinth. (laughs) (laughs) I think that sounds fab. Where can we find that? So that's on Channel 4 on Monday and Tuesday evening at 9pm both nights. 
Fabulous. Now, speaking of a people that we adore, there is Jamie's One Pound Wonders, which is on Channel 4 on Monday at 8pm. Now, as a massive Jamie Oliver stan, um, <laughs> I am here for this. So I think it's really interesting. I spoke to him just before Christmas for the View From My Sofa series. So you can scroll back through the feed and find that. But we did have a conversation about how the cost of living crisis is impacting his shows you know it would feel incredibly um out of sync or you know tactless to um keep going on about these extravagant recipes so he's really kind of condensed it down and the idea is that you can make a meal for less than a pound a portion and his team have kind of verified the price of each ingredient at four different supermarkets so you really are getting a portion for a pound you know don't expect own brand spaghetti or baked beans. Instead, he's more advocating for how to get more bang for your buck. So, you know, making something out of frozen veg, using energy efficient methods like microwaving. So the things that you see in in the first episode is there's a chicken roast that he says will slap you around the face. Uh, I'm going to assume that's a great thing. Cheesy pancakes and pizzas, which also look great. So it's a really, really good program that I think you can actually go away from and make something that you've seen on TV. I mean, I'm a big fan of Jamie as well, because let's face it, so many of these Michelin-starred chefs could and do sit around counting their millions, having fisticuffs with each other and coming up with some random new recipe just to kind of prove that they're all, they're all quite macho, aren't they? And Jamie does seem to do the opposite. He really does want to spread the message and help where he can. He's tireless and I think very, very commendable and rare in this world. Yeah, I think it's that, isn't it? He's humble. He serves food up that isn't um, over the top. It's for your every everyday chef rather than, you know, needing every equipment under the sun and every kind of fancy ingredient. And, you know, he's a campaigner as well. So we love Jamie and we love the one pound wonders, which I'll be trying next week. Maybe I'll try it this week and I'll rate and review on next week's podcast. Oh, there we go. Case study. Case study, Case study. Right. <laughs> So my one for you in the doc world is Becoming Frida Kahlo. BBC Two, Friday, 9pm. I guess everybody has a vision of Frida, don't they? I went to a hotel in the south of France once and it was all about Frida. Every single wall was covered in not portraits or works by her, but portraits of her, which got a little bit intense as the days went by. Anyway, this documentary, of course, the given word on Frida Kahlo is how she was terribly treated by her then equally famous husband, Diego Rivera. This documentary seeks to reverse that, or at least to just to make us think again about the balance of power between these two incredibly passionate, creative individuals. I mean, they married each other twice, so it can't have been all good or, but I was going to say all bad, but perhaps all good either. But there was obviously a great love story between the two. We have not heard the whole story. And the historians in this documentary are at pains to uh, slightly just level out the good and the bad between the two of them. Oh, interesting. Okay, definitely going to watch that because I also heard this kind of argument that was going around recently that she's kind of been commercialised, like her face has been commercialised. You can buy any kind of merchandise with her face on and how it's it's mm. seen as somewhat an appropriation of culture. So I'd definitely be very up for going back and finding out all about that. Now, 
Talking about reflecting on the past, there is a very emotionally charged documentary which is coming out on BBC Two on Sunday at 9pm and it is We Need to Talk About Cosby, which is a deep dive of Bill Cosby's downfall. So this man who has faced more than 60 accusations of sexual assault. At the beginning, there's lots of talking heads, lots of comedians, lots of people exploring what this means to black culture and black identity. But it looks at, and, and kind of also always with the power of hindsight, but this man who is kind of synonymous with the idea of wholesomeness, you know, the nation's dad, that kind of thing. And the writer and director who himself is a stand-up comedian, Walter Camus Bell, argues in this series that the integrity was just this massive facade and it didn't take a lot of, you know, investigation or scratching or looking into to reveal what was actually going on. So, or allegedly going on. So the first... Well, I would say it's, it's worse than that because it wasn't just that it was a veneer, but it was the means by which he got into these people's lives was that very yeah. wholesomeness. So it was a double bad. It wasn't just that it was fake. It was that that was the exploitative means for his evilness. And what's so sickening, and, you know, we've seen this at the moment, even more so, you know, there was the Jeffrey Epstein documentary on Netflix. Uh, you know, there's all of these kind of stories that have come out, I guess, post Me Too in, in some senses, or the kind of revealing on a more global scale. But what is so despicable is, you know, countless people in this documentary say People knew what was going on and turned and actively turned a blind eye. And hearing people say that in the context of also seeing kind of clips from back in the day. And there's this like, you know, really spine tingling in a terrible, terrible way where we hear him actively joking openly in his stand-up about drugging women. So I think it's one of those that, you know, it's it's a difficult watch, but one that I think is probably deeply necessary and eye-opening. Well, lots of people hide in plain sight, don't they? It's happened on both sides of the Atlantic. And I think there are still people today where we might say, well, that's a bit dodgy, but... Uh... Well, I, I'm not going to be the one that says it. So I, I think that the good news is the one good aspect of social media has been that victims or people who sent something wrong, there is not the shame of the victim that there used to be. It has flipped. So true. And so we can count ourselves very fortunate that we live in, a, in an ecosystem, a media ecosystem of 2023 and not the horrendous 70s, despite their great clothes. It wasn't, it yeah. wasn't in any way favourable as it is now. That's very true. Tell me, if I'm looking for some light relief, where can I go? Oh, I would suggest you go to the Netflix platform, the Netflix service, as somebody <laughs> called it to me yesterday, um, because uh, fans of Luther, the good news is the film will not disappoint. There's always that sort of moment of, oh, are they going to wreck it? Four wonderful series on the BBC, all available on the iPlayer. They're no fools. Uh, he's gone big screen. He is uh, currently in cinemas, I believe, but uh, the, the big arrival really is on Netflix, which happens on 10th of March, so next week. And uh, he's great. I mean, it's they've translated the story. The story's bigger as it should be for the big screen audience. But the essential, well, I was it's not wholesome. What is it? It's grit. It's, it's watcher grit yeah. with his big tweed coat and uh, his unique way of speaking to witnesses <laughs> and suspects. He's back and he's great. Uh, Idris Elba, he's got it just right. And I wouldn't, but lots of people are calling it the Bond audition. I would say it's more a, 
I oh. don't need Bond. I've got Luther because this is clearly going to run and run. There are plenty more films where this came from. I think he's going to have his very own franchise. And I think if he ever was offered Bond, we will never know, or perhaps we will one day. He had the foresight to turn it down and to do this instead, and it's wonderful. So the good news is you can breathe a sigh of relief, Luther fans. Oh, fab. Well, that was very nicely done because if you listened last week, Caroline did tell you to go and look in the archives and rewatch Luther series on BBC iPlayer. Um, so something that I have, which is a film, um, which is up for all the nominations at the moment, it's being considered by all the uh, the big dogs in the film world, is Elvis, which is coming to now. It's the biopic where Austin Butler plays Elvis and it's... I would say uh, slightly too long. Uh, it's by Baz Luhrmann, who you'll know from Romeo and Juliet. I mean, he's a really, really distinctive director. And Austin Butler is absolutely incredible as Elvis. I think it is. He's so right to have won uh, Best Actor at the BAFTAs. However, I would say the film is slightly let down by... Uh, this is going to sound horrible because I think he is a wonderful, wonderful actor. It's Tom Hanks's performance as his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, is just a little bit too villainous. I think it's too much of a stereotype, really. Did you see... Austin Butler picking up his BAFTA because it was very funny for two reasons. One was that it was a massive surprise and Colin Farrell had to put his best, I'm not bothered, loser face on. And also oh, is that no. Austin Butler has apparently, according to people who knew him previously, he got the Elvis accent obviously spot on, just right, hung out with the Presley family, totally just swallowed the Elvis aid, but he hasn't gone back. So his his accent is now stuck as Elvis. And people who knew him from yeah. long ago are saying, oh, what happens? So uh, he clearly committed yeah. himself to that role 100%. Yeah, I mean, he's spoken about that and it is, it is crazy. You can hear that if you look at kind of a YouTube clip of before and after with the accent, it's definitely... It's stuck with him beyond. Don't you think that's a bit weird? I think so. But then also I think with that kind of role, when you throw yourself into it, I, I wonder how long they would have filmed for, but I, I'd i say it was a long shoot and a lot of Yeah, but the for. film's been out for six months. I mean, he's had plenty of time to acclimatise, go back to normal life. He's got a brand new A-lister girlfriend, all of that. I, don't, I just think Ooh. it's a bit weird. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> moving on but backwards at the same time. <laughs> what is in the archive this well, week? Well, this is a little bit of homework, um, just as everybody obviously got full marks for their Luther homework last week. So this is just to advise you that we know Succession is looming, the fourth and final series coming this way, 26th of March. So that gives you a bit of time to swat up series one to three available on the Now platform and obviously worth a watch, even if we all sat through it before because it is toxic and vitriolic and acidic and dynastic and marvellous. I mean, the big question is, which of those horrendous children will Logan Roy actually end up having to sign over the family fortune to? I don't know. I would give it all to the RSPCA if I were him because they're all awful. But my goodness, it's a great watch. So if you're wanting to do some homework ahead of Succession Series 4 arriving at the end of March, Series 1 to 3, all available on the Now platform. Brilliant. Well, that is all from us. As always, we'll include all of the shows that we've spoken about in the show notes. And until next Friday, happy viewing. <laughs>